Welcome to Therapy Snacks. I'm your host, Molly Zive. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Just like snacks, these episodes are digestible, accessible, and offer a variety of ways to think about our mental health. This is not to substitute for treatment. Please rate, subscribe, and share right now. Hello, welcome to Therapy Snacks. I am so grateful that you're here and that you're listening to this episode. I had so much fun interviewing Valerie Tate. She is such an amazing therapist, human, and we're going to dive into that interview in just a moment. But first, I'd like us to try to get grounded. Let's start by taking a nice big inhale. Exhale anything that does not serve you. Good. Inhale. On the exhale, roll your shoulders back. One more on your own. Good. Now, I want you to notice your thoughts. Are they easy to bring into this moment? Or are they racing around? Just noting what your thoughts are like. I want you to notice how you are feeling. Just noticing, not judging. How are you feeling right now? Good. Take a nice big inhale. Thanking yourself for this little bit of mindfulness. All right. If you'd like to dive deeper into some mindfulness, I am hosting my first IRL in real life workshop at Little Dame this Saturday, October 16th from 6 to 8 p.m. We are going to be having snacks. We are going to be decorating journals, doing some journal journaling, <laughs> mindfulness, um, some self-love activities, inner child visualization, and you will definitely not want to miss out on this opportunity. Once again, this is my first in-person workshop, so it's very exciting. I'm so grateful for Katie at Little Dame for hosting it. If you want to buy tickets, they are available at littledameshop.com, and I'll link it in the show notes. I hope to see everyone on Saturday. All right, now transitioning to this episode with Valerie Tate. She is an intuitive therapist who is just a really special person. I'm so glad that the universe brought us together. You'll hear all about how we just sort of resonate with each other. And I think you'll really enjoy this interview. All right, let's hop in. All right. Welcome to Therapy Snacks. I am so excited for our next guest, Valerie Tate, who is a licensed psychotherapist in San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Valerie. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to, we, we were talking a little bit before I press record and I just, 
I just feel like we have resonance with each other, like you said, and feel like in the past lives, we must have known each other. It does feel like that. I was reading about you and just saw myself over the years and talking about intuition and energy work and being tuned in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that we can talk about this and have the same language because I feel like sometimes you can't talk about it with everyone. It's like a very attracting, um, attract or repel kind of language, if that makes sense. Well, it does because being a psychotherapist, that's one, you know, connection point, but not all psychotherapists are made alike in terms of how they see mental health and healing and, you know, how to guide people. So it's really great to talk to someone who sort of is aligned in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you think about mental health and healing? (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, I'm really all about inner guidance. So for me, I, I almost feel like I'm a, like an existential detective, um, like trying to help people tune in to, you know, what is their soul saying? What is that the innermost voice that wants to come forward? And then mental health work is really about clearing and separating out like what is conditioning, like mental thought forms and conditioning people were raised with coping strategies, like what needs to be moved out of the way, other people's voices um, in order to listen to that inner guidance. Mm -hmm. So it's like whatever I can do, whatever modality, modality I can use to help clear the way for that voice to come through or the visions to come through. That's, that's kind of how I, how I see it. So that Mm -hmm. someone ends up feeling like, wow, clarity is here. And when I don't have clarity, I have the tools to know how to move things out of the way. So I do. And really just about like being on one's life path and feeling like, oh, I'm on, I'm on the path. It's clear. It may be messy, but I'm here. Yeah. What you said just like made my nervous system totally relax. <laughs> like it felt Aww. like nervous. <laughs> it, it felt really good when you're talking about it. How did you find yourself being a therapist on your life path? What inspired you? That's a great question. I mean, I come from a I always describe them as a feelings family. So my mom went back and studied social work when she was 40 and I was 10. She used to take me to classes with her. She did a lot with chemical dependency and elderly and I'd go to the nursing home. So that was very inspiring for me to watch my mom, you know, get into school and do something that's so tuned into people. Mm -hmm. And those weren't my populations to work with, but I, but I felt it. There Mm -hmm. was something that kind of captured me. Um, and then we also went to family therapy and I, what's funny about it is I was very resistant. I was the youngest child and I thought that everyone else had problems in my family. So I would refuse to go into the therapy room and eventually I did go in, but so I had a feelings-based family. We had, you know, talks on pillows in the living room and, you know, my mom facilitated that. But I had another career before I wanted to be a businesswoman when I first came out of the gates. I wanted to be more like my dad and had a a career in advertising for about six years. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was, you know, I liked it. I was good at it, but it just, my soul was aching for, for going deeper. Mm -hmm. So I went back to graduate school when I was 27 and changed my career. So I kind of always knew that I would do healing work. Like it was in the back of my mind that I'd go back to school, but I didn't want to be a 20, 
year old marriage and family therapist that just didn't make, I'm like, who's going to take advice or <laughs> guidance from a 20 year old with no life experience? Yeah. So that's, I, that's kind of how that unfolded. Totally. I was that 20 year old and I felt that same way. Like when all of my classmates in grad school, I took a year off to be fair. And I was like, I want to see what, if this is really something I want to do. And I worked in a locked um, psychiatric facility with people who are mm. on conservatorship. And I was really interested in macro. I was like, oh my gosh, we got to change policies. So people aren't just like thrown away in these facilities. Like no one knew about yeah. these facilities unless you work in them. Anyways, I went back to grad school. And the people that it was their second career, moms, dads, veterans, I would just mm -hmm. be like, so like my eyes would be so open listening to the <laughs> eyes and ears, obviously, but I'd had like wide eyes, like, oh my gosh, they have so much cool life experience. So <laughs> I definitely hear you being, being a young one. Um, but it sounds like you made that decision pretty, pretty early on. It wasn't, it didn't take long for you to be in a different career. Yeah. I felt like I was having a quarter life crisis though. And it now when we have a name for it, people talk about it. I remember being jealous. I was driving to work one day and seeing a golden retriever laying on his front porch. And I was jealous of the golden retriever, <laughs> like the chill laying in the sun. And I'm like, all right, I got to change my life. Yeah. So, you know, I end up, I really do recognize when people are at those pivotal points of transition where it's like, something needs to come out like there's a clarity there's a there's something you're moving towards that that really needs to be unfolded and uncovered mm -hmm. and and for the little things I mean I think it applies to all the moment to moment interactions we have and the people mm -hmm. we meet and everything is everything is actually a message for us mm. I love that yeah when you describe yourself at 27 being jealous of the golden retriever I'm like you're my ideal client I love <laughs> life transitions. I love when my clients quit their jobs and just say like, F it, I'm going to go for this and like live in alignment with who they want to be. I think it's really, mm -hmm. really powerful. And it keeps me really engaged in the work. That's, that's great. It's true. It's really true. And we have those. I mean, life is full of it. Mm -hmm. I always talk about like, um, the phrase, like we can't control our life circumstances, but we can control our state of being or what I call our inner state. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the only thing I think we're really in charge of is like the lens through which we look at something. Mm -hmm. And I use techniques and things to shift the inner state, but life circumstances are dramatic like mm -hmm. that. We're not in control of those. And I think when we try to, to do that, that's where anxiety and depression comes in. Mm -hmm because we actually can't. It's just like those need to play out, but how we experience it is what is what we're in charge of. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I needed you in my teenage years. What you're saying, <laughs> just the locus of control, you know, mm. just like wanting to control everything and putting so much pressure on ourselves to have it all figured out. Well, don't you think our I mean our culture tells us that though. That's that's what we're really fighting against is that mm we're given so much information about like, you're in charge of your own destiny. Well, I mean, we're sort of like, mm -hmm. we're in charge of being present with it and experiencing things and, um, and clearing the way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, that's part of that whole existential exploration that comes up. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of guided me through your sort of career path as a therapist. Did you always know that you were going to be in private practice? I did. I did because I actually got pregnant right out of graduate school. 
um, during my final arts, I studied art therapy as well. And during my final performance, I was pregnant and I thought, I really want a life that allows me to be a very present mom and choose mm -hmm. the hours that I work. So private practice, fit, you know, totally fit that. And then in terms of what I focused on, um, after I got licensed and was working in a private practice setting, I went into a meditation class at somewhere in San Francisco where they also taught clairvoyance, how to be a clairvoyant. Mm -hmm. And I have a whole history with having a near-death experience at age 19. And then when I was younger, always being very tapped in through my dreams, it just, something woke up in me again to say, you absolutely need to study energy work. Mm -hmm. and understand like what's beyond the psyche. Mm -hmm. So I studied energy work, um, being a clairvoyant and an energy reader and healer. And then I later on studied um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, and I've been doing that for years and also hypnosis. So I like working with modalities to help people go into like an altered state and uncover things that their conscious mind might be blocking. Mm -hmm. And that led me so to cool. the intuition work, really, because I wanted to make energy work and healing more accessible to the individual. Like, how do we how do we do it ourselves? Mm -hmm. How do we how do we be psychics and readers for ourselves versus, like you mentioned, locus of control? I see a lot of people. Most of my therapy sessions are about people giving their look their you know their energy to other people to tell them who they are and how they what next steps they need to take. And I think we need to bring it back home and learn how to read ourselves. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah. It's like empowering the individual too, to yeah, do it themselves. Like they don't necessarily have to have a codependency on a healer or another person or like, you know, just, I don't know, school, they can do it within themselves. It's true. And, it, and, you know, a lot of therapists, talk about that. Like therapy isn't necessarily forever. Like I want you to grow out of this. And I, sometimes when, when a client comes to me and says, I feel complete, I feel like I want to go really, truly play, play things out in the world, you know, without you Val, I feel there's a, when it feels right, when there's truth, I get this excitement inside, like, yes. Cause it's that feeling of like a bird flying out of the yeah. nest. Even though I've, for some people, they want to check in every week for years. And I love that too. But I love when someone just has that feeling of like, yep. I'm just impressed by them. I'm impressed by your clients for even knowing that, like trusting that within themselves. You, I'm wondering if you like, you kind of tell them at the beginning when you first meet them, like, this is what it you know will look like when you're complete. Let me know when you're complete or if they just have that download. I think that's really impressive. That's a good question. It, it's probably something I should name more often. And I don't know that I do. Um, but I believe it. I really believe everyone can feel that timing within themselves. And people come to therapy or for healing for different reasons. For some mm -hmm. people, it's like I'm going through, like you said, this, this, you know, divorce or transition in my career, and I'm in crisis and mm -hmm. want help during that phase. And sometimes people will come back and come and say, well, Val, you know that we're through that period. I feel better but is there is there more we should do is there a way to deepen into myself or for some people that crisis was exactly what they wanted the support for and they don't want the ongoing guidance mm -hmm. yeah I really trust it I just do 
I think that's really smart and really good. And I feel like that's something I'm still leaning into is like the termination process for me is really hard. I think it's Mm. just like, you never, for me, I never know when it's right or if it feels right, because sometimes, like you said, people just want to come in and check in every week and that's fine. I love that we have that relationship, but it's like, you know, the ethical part of me or the things that they hammered into my brain are like, well, do they really need this sort of level of care? Or do you think they can do this on their own? I just find that termination. And when it comes from a client, it just feels so great. Like you said, like it just, it lights me up when I hear like a baby bird just wants to fly the nest and do life by themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, I also think as a practitioner, that intuition part comes in so strongly because I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes if someone says, I, um, I'm going to pause therapy for now. I can feel it when it's actually not time to pause mm-hmm. getting support. Now, whether I'm the person to support them, that would be maybe something to question. Like maybe they need a different kind of helper, but, um, that's something to tune into as well. Like is cause sometimes there's just resistances or defenses coming up mm-hmm. where it's hard for someone to go to that next level of vulnerability and really mm-hmm. letting someone in. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think change is really, really hard. And that's, I do clinical supervision. And that's what I tell my supervisees is like, think about hard, how hard it is for you to change something, you know, like it's sometimes we can't face things head on. And so we have to have that compassion with our clients. Like it's not always easy to change or want to change, you know, people get really avoidant, including myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it Mm -hmm. comes to the real work. Exactly. And we don't always know that that avoidance or defense is up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. takes Having two to kind of figure that out. Yeah. yeah. Having that therapist. So in your practice, do you see individuals, families, what, what type of work do you like to do? I see a lot of individuals and men and women, and I, and I do see couples. I have a good handful of couples that I work with and I tend to, um, you know, couples tend to come a little bit later in their journey when they're really in a crisis point. So mm-hmm. I do find that I wish couples would come sooner in their relationship. Um, mm-hmm. I always think of relationships as like a home that needs upkeep and care. We need to keep it dusted and clean. And, and otherwise that connection, which I see as sort of a separate piece, the connection or soul bond feels like it has all that dust and things covering it over. Mm-hmm. So I, I often separate those two out. And then we look at like in your relational house, what's happening there. Mm-hmm. So I love working with couples and relationship. Cause I think in general, we're in relationship with everyone throughout mm-hmm. our day and our lives. So the power of working on an intimate romantic relationship where all of your issues get the most provoked, mm-hmm. <laughs> it translates, right? Like that translates to every relationship that you have like learning conscious communication and how to, how to empathize with someone at a deep level and still take care of yourself. Those, all of those principles really apply to other work. So, and it, it varies what I work with someone on. Sometimes it's, you know, how do I get clear on my own soul's path? That kind of, like we were talking about before, it might be career change or transition. Sometimes it's trauma-based. So using modalities to go back in time and really clear mm-hmm. that's awesome. scenes and pain that's yeah so yeah. I do like trauma work a lot yeah 
how do you I mean it's one it's not a one size fits all but like when you see someone who is really stuck in their trauma or like stuck in the trauma response do you immediately think like oh hypnosis would be really great EMDR would be really great like where do you go first of course everyone is so different but I'm just a good question it really depends on how um how solid someone is within themselves first, like that assessment to know how much stimulation or activation can that person handle. Mm-hmm. So if we go into EMDR, it's going to activate all of those pictures and those sensations of the trauma. I mean, we're doing it in a held and contained way, but really assessing that first. So for some people, if they're highly sensitized to the trauma or they're, they're in the trauma reaction, just even telling me about it, then we're probably just going to start more with like narrative therapy. Mm -hmm. We're going to just talk through the experiences from the cognitive level and narrative therapy being like becoming aware of what narrative is being told, what perspective. And perhaps then I like to work with parts of the self a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like all of, all of the inner children and all of the archetypes and um, parts of us that are within So for someone that was highly traumatized in the moment, we'd probably more work with parts of the self. Like one part of me is feeling very forgiving and loving about what happened to me. Okay, another part of me is terrified to be in a situation with this kind of person or that that scene. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's not a one size fits all. And I think that it really depends on where someone's at in their healing journey. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I think creating that safe container is so important. I mean, it's, it won't work doing the EMDR. I'm in in brain spotting. Like it won't, I mean, with brain spotting, it's a little more gentle, but there is activation. So like if any point I do have to say, like, let me know. And that's part of the relational attunement is like, look into my eyes. Like I'm here with you, you know, and really make people Mm -hmm. feel safe before they feel like they have to, you know, go deep into new levels that they probably have never experienced before. Exactly. Exactly. Because there's a session itself mm-hmm. and the containment within that. And then there's in-between meetings and yeah. what comes up for people and how to, how to help them feel contained in that. Yeah. That's such a good thing to talk about right now. What, what do you tell people between session? How do you empower them to take care of themselves? Um, well, not to over-process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so I think dream work is so powerful. So I love encouraging clients to keep a little journal by their bed because those little visions and snapshots right when you wake up are great clues into the subconscious of what is being processed through. So that's a that's a big way. But um, really to stay out of the mind and more, more in touch with the clues that come forward. Mm-hmm. So I think I always talk about them like intuitive clues. Mm-hmm. But those little, those little pieces that pop up, I'm more curious about those little pop-ups and to note those than for someone to be analyzing, mm-hmm. mentally analyzing anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's better done together, if that makes sense. So it almost like perfect. to stay in the creative zone. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we're working on a painting and that painting is not going to be done like for a while. You might do one stroke and be like, really get interested in what the red is and go deeper with that Mm -hmm. and stay in that mystery. So we can be in that mystery together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Val, I feel like you're talking to me. I feel like the day after we started Mm -hmm. brain spotting and in training, I went to the teacher and I was like, 
so can I brain spot myself? Like I just, I knew it's, it's rapidly all these, like it was coming up as at warp speed. I'm like, if I could just keep knocking this out, like I, I you know, I'll be healed in no time. Right. And, uh, she had similar advice, you know, she's like, yeah, you can't brain spot yourself. You just hang out, just notice the subtleties, see what happens in your body. Notice you, it, a lot came out in my dream. So I'm glad that you, you named mm-hmm. that, but I think, you know, I think the reality is like in the culture that we live in, we we're very impatient. It's very instant yeah. gratification. Amazon prime drops me off something the next day, Instagram, you know, there's just so many yeah. places where we get instant gratification and like therapy and healing isn't always instant. You're right. And it also, it can be re-traumatizing. I'm thinking I'm watching that show. I'm sure a lot of people are watching nine perfect strangers with Nicole Kidman. They go to this healing, they go to this healing center and she's dosing, microdosing people with uh, mushrooms. And I mean, it's just like, I shouldn't give things away. It's, it's like cathartic therapy. Like, you know, what you're talking about, we're trying to take people through a catharsis and that catharsis can be extremely traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And we've been through these waves before with other, you know, S and these like in- intensives that people would go to for therapy and healing and they wouldn't be allowed to go to the bathroom and you know everything's about like just cracking someone open and I think we've learned a lot as a healing community that that doesn't work Mm -hmm. and that our system needs time to just like our digestive tract needs time to digest the food that we've eaten Mm -hmm. we need to digest the awakenings and the awarenesses that develop in a gentle way Mm -hmm. not with force Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I love how you put that. It's so beautiful. So if someone, Mm -hmm. I love working with people who are experiencing their awakening. Like I really want people to lean into that when people are starting to notice, like they're just like a shell of themselves. That's how I would describe it. I don't know how you would, and they want to start doing deeper work. Do you, do you have any like advice of like noticing things? Like I asked the universe, for something, if I'm, we talked about this before we hopped on, I'm kind of in this transition period of like, and I'm not making my, it's not, I'm not making myself have an easy time about it, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I ask the universe, I say, please, will you show me something? Please show me a sign before I go to bed each night. So the next day or in my dreams, like I have not that I'm always searching for it, but something comes up and I'm like, Oh, that was, that was the sign that I needed to see. Do you offer anything like that or any like intuition guidance? That's a yes. I mean, that's, I, I do similar suggestions. So like I mentioned, I think everything is really an intuitive clue and it comes through all of our senses, like seeing, hearing, feeling, knowing, and smelling. And so to really open up all of the senses internally and externally for those signs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes we tend to, what, what I notice is intuition is people tend to think it's going to be a visual sign, or it has to be like really knock you over the head kind of sign. And what I would say is almost softening into all of it. Mm-hmm. So who shows up in your reality that day? Who calls you? What do they say? Mm-hmm. It's all in there in those little momentary interactions with someone at the grocery store. Like mm-hmm. those are clues. Mm-hmm. That inner voice that says something little is a clue. And actually, my this course I developed on intuition, I developed a map that tracks intuitive clues so that if you're if you're getting little ones, they start to add up to the to the bigger ones. And you know, being able to track like through all of the senses, 
That's... what clues are coming up. Yeah. Because it's, sometimes it's like that, you know, it's like, well, you might have a moment that has a big clue and those feel really good. Like I mm-hmm. once had a, saw a white owl come to me on my rooftop in San Francisco and it was like, am I in a Harry Potter movie? <laughs> and I've had a lot of those kinds of experiences in life that I could tell you about, but it's, those are wonderful and they're life-changing, but the little ones add up mm-hmm. to that feeling and that sensation that we're being guided moment to moment to moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really the advice that I would give overall is mm-hmm. letting yourself pay attention to those. It, mm-hmm. It's yeah. very affirming. Yeah, very affirming. And I, that came up for me the other night when I was doing Headspace on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever done mm-hmm. those meditations, but it was about anger. And something came up around um, just like the softening and zooming out a lot more. I remember I had a therapist a few years ago who was like, you're so zoomed into your life. And Mm. if you just zoom out a little bit, it it just, just see what happens. And it made it a lot easier. (laughs) It makes life a lot easier when I zoom out and I'm not so hyper-focused on the sensations and the symptoms and the circumstances. And I'm able to see more through the peripheral. Exactly. And just even to recognize that that hypervigilance is, is a um, sign of operating from fear, or anxiety, a gentle reminder to self to say, okay, I see you fear and I hear you anxiety. Like I'm paying attention to what you're saying, but I also want to hear and feel and see the other stuff. So that part of the zooming out mm-hmm. allows you to receive more information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how could people find out about your course? Well, there's a website. So it's on my website, valtate.com. Mm-hmm. And it's called intuitive superpower.com. You could go to singular. I love it. And um, yeah, the course is called intuitive superpowers, demystify and activate your intuitive life. And I also developed a quiz that's kind of fun. I should send it to you. It's uh, intuitivesuperpowerquiz.com. And you can find out what your dominant intuitive superpower is. That is so so cool. Did you develop that yourself? I did. I did. So I wanted people to start with the one that's familiar because when when we tap into and know like, oh yeah, I tend to receive information visually. It's very affirming. And the ones that we're most comfortable with it's, it's affirming to the fact that like, oh yes, I do receive clues in this way and that way. And then we could strengthen, strengthen the other ways of receiving information, but yeah. That's so so cool. that would be the best way to get a hold of me is really through valtate.com or in the course information is on there as well. How long that does was it... my quarantine project. Yeah, I was going to say, how long does it take someone to create something this special? You said it was Aww. during quarantine. During quarantine, I just, I really realized like, you know, what was my core message that I want to deliver to people? What I, what do I think is the most helpful? And I really wanted to teach people about like how we receive information intuitively, all the tricks and tools that I've developed over time, like intuitive magnetism and interstate changing our state of being and um, all of the alignment things that we need and how to clear anxiety and fear out of the way to tap in all of that information. It took a while, honestly. I mean, I learned with all my recording equipment. I have videos in there. I have audio recording. So as you're familiar with, with mm-hmm. audio recording, I learned mm-hmm. all of that and GarageBand and use a platform called Teachable. 
So it amplified my own learning in those technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a while, but it was like a labor of love because it, it really felt like I want to inspire people to tune in and, and tell them how to do it and then give a tracking system for these clues because they're happening all the time. And I want, I, I felt like I was living with a secret. Like I want other people to be able to live this way in this magical unfolding. Yeah, I'm getting the full body chills right now. You are giving me full body chills. That's so amazing. I just, I feel like my quarantine project was starting my private practice and then really crazy things happened along the way and people were reaching out for therapy like every Mm -hmm. single day. I don't know if you experienced that too. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of why I started the podcast is like, I want to reach a wider amount of people that don't have to see me every single week and, you know, can access these things. And so I, I see the course as the same thing of just, being able yeah. to have things be accessible. Exactly. And you don't have to show up for a class. You could do it at your own pace. And I built a workbook for that reason. You can write things down, but I love the name of your podcast too. You did <laughs> therapy, therapy snacks. It's so great. Yeah. I'm actually getting it trademarked. I said, I've said that the last three episodes, which is like note to self, I need to talk to my lawyer because <laughs> it's like all the paperwork. Um, yeah. I feel really blessed to have it uh, my partner is in marketing and he, he actually coined it. He's very creative. And so when he came up with that, because I love snacks and therapy, I was like, this is a perfect blend. <laughs> of who I What's am. your favorite snack? Oh my gosh. Do I have to choose one? I love salty. <laughs> I let my friend makes amazing charcuterie boards. What? I would say that's probably my favorite snack. Cause I like the variety of <laughs> different oh, things. Yeah. That sounds so good. What's your favorite snack? That's a good question. I should start asking every. <laughs> My favorite snack that I always keep on hand is hearts of palm in a can. Really? Isn't that funny? Artichoke, yeah, right? Is that what it is? No, not an artichoke. It's actually a heart of a palm tree. I have to look that up. I've never, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had it. Well, you've probably had them on salads. They usually cut them, like they'll take them and cut them in these small pieces and they kind of they have a similar zone to an artichoke heart. Okay. Like, but yeah, that's, it's a very random, I like pickly things. Yeah. Yeah. Salty, I like, pickly. Yeah. Yeah. I love me some dill pickles. Yeah. <laughs> Apples and peanut butter. I can go on and on. I need like a whole snack show. Um, yeah. Maybe you could be snacking when you get on the, you know, when you start your podcast, you could be snacking on something. People could intuitively guess what you're snacking on too. That is really smart. And then when we're able to do these more in person, we can just snack in this beautiful office for my podcast. <laughs> exactly. So- Have you ever heard of the potato chip meditation? No. There was a whole, I don't know if it was like a humor-based thing or a real thing, but like meditation, some meditation teacher, of course, no, I don't know who it was, like to meditate on eating a potato chip, like actually slowing down to taste the salt and smell it and be present with the potato chip, right? Because meditation is all about that attunement and paying attention to our senses. And yes, and all we want to do is just munch the potato chip right away. Eat it and I don't even know if I want to chew it. I just want to throw it in the <laughs> into my mouth. <laughs> like no, how long can you be with the potato chip? Oh my gosh, I love that. That's so funny. Well, I am so grateful that you came on the show today. Again, if people want to get to know you, what is your website one more time? Valtate.com. Thank you so much, Val. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Molly. 
Thank you for spending a little bit of time with me. I think it's really important to take care of yourself and listening to podcasts and being with yourself is so important. Sends out a ripple effect. When you're taking care of yourself, you're taking care of your family and your community. So keep up the great work. If you want to learn more about this podcast, go to therapysnacks.org or you can find us on Instagram at therapy underscore snacks. You can find the host, me, Molly, at Molly Zive Therapy on Instagram. All right, everyone. Have a good rest of your day. Take care.